Hey everyone, Soundlord here. This is a very special episode of Assembly Required. We've talked about this before on the show, but we are about to hashtag release the spider cut. As you may know, the genesis of this podcast happened when Eduardo approached me at my wedding and said, hey, we want to do an MCU podcast. And I said, okay. Second biggest agreement I made that day. So while I was off in Hawaii on my honeymoon, they recorded this episode as sort of a prototype, they call it, a proof of concept, about the original 2002 film Spider-Man. And we are releasing it for you today. It is a little interesting to go back and see how the show has changed. If you've been listening since the beginning or if you've gone back and listened to some of our early episodes, you'll remember that there are some segments that we have dropped completely like top three quotes and uh things like that and that is all here it is a very different episode of this podcast than what the podcast has become but it's kind of fun to go back and see what's changed what stayed the same uh for example the idea that robbie might not be on every episode not just robbie but any of us might not be on every episode Uh, So it's uh, kind of fun to go back and see what's changed and we hope that you will enjoy this Uh, Please forgive the audio quality and just general shakiness of the episode. And tune in next week when we are going to give you a modern-style assembly-required review of the original Spider-Man movie as we start our deep dive into the five non-MCU Sony Spider-Man films. Also, real quick before we get started, just a reminder that Assembly Required now has a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash assemblyrequired. If you are interested, please, uh, no pressure, of course, to, to join us. But if you do, you'll get a chance to join our exclusive private Discord server. And depending on your level of donation, you might get a chance to join us on some exclusive events, like one we have planned for Friday, May the 14th, where we'll be doing a watch-along of Spider-Man 2. Yes, with Doc Ock himself. And, of course, we want to thank our new patron, Corey, as well as, as always, our Avenger-level patrons, Brian and Riley. But now, I will turn it over to our host, Eduardo, as you enjoy the secret episode negative one of Assembly Required. With great power comes great responsibility. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Hey, Freak Joe! You're going nowhere! Crap, crap, mega crap. Impressive! You were meant for great things. You're taller than you look. Hi, Hunch. Go, Web, go! He's a criminal, that's who he is. A vigilante, a public menace. I'm Spider-Man. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to this brand new show, The Prototype, for our brand new podcast, chronicling the entirety of the MCU. But before we do that, we're going to start with a movie that's near and dear to everybody's hearts. So just to give you a little bit of context Um, I went to the movies to see Endgame just like everybody else in the world did. And I was left blown away and left thinking, man, I just really want to watch all these movies again. And then I was left thinking as well, why don't we just do a podcast on all those movies? So here we are. 
Um, this is going to be like a little bit of a bonus episode of Michael on the feed later. So if you're listening to this, it's probably uh, after we've already started the episode. You've probably already heard a couple episodes by this point. Um, but this is going to be on the original Spider-Man. Um, and to do this show with me, um, as I always do, I've got my buddy and my bro and my homie and my dog here with me, uh, Mr. Uh, D underscore Peaches. Peaches, hello, sir. I thought you were going to say Teddy after you said you had your dog with you. <laughs> my dog's name is Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. And joining <laughs> us on this episode with Spider-Man and who will be joining us on all of the Iron Man episodes and a few other episodes to come, it's Robbie. Robbie, what's up, man? Hey, not much. Um, I don't understand why you didn't say hello at all in the introduction to this show. That is because this is not a Squad Up show. Yeah, it was uh, weird, That is though. something that is reserved for Squad Up. That hello is patented. <laughs> it's it's well, can only be used for Squad Up. We it gotta figure out how to properly greet people to this one, then. That's true. I mean, we're going to figure it out. I mean, and it, we also have to figure out a name for the show. At this point, we still don't even have a name. Excelsior. So. Excelsior. So we're talking about the original Spider-Man movie that came out back in what? What do we call What do we say? 2002? 2002. 2002. 2002. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie with that guy from Pleasantville and the one chick from Small Soldiers. Um, <laughs> I forgot Kevin she was Blatter. in there. And Kirsten Dunst, <laughs> you know, the, the two famous actors that they were at the time. Um, and so before we get into all of that, we're talking a little bit about the character Spider-Man. Now, I'm not going to patronize you because I'm sure everyone who has listened to this podcast knows who Spider-Man <laughs> is. Um, but just to give a little bit of backstory, uh, Spider-Man debuted in Amazing Fantasy number 15. That was back in 1962. Um, for those who don't know, Amazing Fantasy was this sort of um, serialized comic book that would come out and it would have lots of small short stories within all in the same book and the character Spider-Man was created from there it was created by Stan Lee and hmm, Steve Ditko Steve Ditko, thank you Robbie and it, it's traditionally has starred Peter Parker who is this nerdy guy that uh, gets bitten by a radioactive spider and then gets lots of spider-like superpowers. He's also a super genius. Um, then that's not because of the, the superpowers. It's just he's just a smart guy. Now, lots of things happen in Spider-Man's life. There's lots of different stories. I mean, the, the most recent Spider-Man movies that have come out have showed, sort of shown you different takes on Spider-Man. But Spider-Man has had a long and an illustrious career in the comic book universe and has several, several different stories, which we'll touch on a little later. Um, but it also sparked the idea of a movie. So successes of Bat movies like Batman and uh, the Superman trilogies and all these sort of superhero movies that came before but hadn't really quite hit the mark, I would say – just yet really inspired people to, to create this new movie. In, in 1991, James Cameron wrote uh, a script for a Spider-Man film. It was going to star Electro and Sandman. And then what happened? It was in development hell for the next uh, more than a decade. There you go. Development hell. All of a sudden, Sam Raimi's now the new director. Electro's turned into Green Goblin. Um, Sandman was changed for Dr. Octopus, but that was also just changed into its own separate movie. Mm -hmm. And then we kept this whole thing. The only thing that really came, that came over were the organic web shooters, which we will talk about once again. But then it arises to uh, the, the, the movie itself. So um, Spider-Man, the movie itself is a story of Peter Parker played by Tobey Maguire. And he, it's essentially the, 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 the origin story of Peter Parker, at least told in this, in this context. 
and he is this kid in New York City. I think he's actually just side, just outside of New York City um, at the beginning of the movie. Um, but he lives in New York and he goes to school and he's a nerd and he's got this best friend named Harry and um, Harry's dad, Norman Osborn. I mean, these are all famous names in the comic books. Um, he has this girl that he likes, Mary Jane, uh, this bully, Flash Thompson, and all of this sort of, if you know Spider-Man, you know where all of this is going. He doesn't, um, it's not really explained in this movie where his parents are, but he's got, um, Aunt Ben, Aunt Ben, Aunt Ben, Aunt May, and Uncle Ben, I know. You know, and, and so we sort of go through this, this thing, um, throughout the movie where, there, there are a lot of different themes that I, I almost don't want to touch on the rest of the synopsis of the story because we're going to get into a lot of the discussion of what sort of happens throughout the movie with our bullet points here. Um, but as an overarching story, um, Peter becomes Spider-Man, gets superpowers. Um, his best friend's dad, Norman Osborn, becomes the Green Goblin and sort of chaos ensues. And it's sort of the telling of that story. And I want to get into a little bit of what we sort of thought about it from, from the very beginning. So I want to talk to you, Robbie, about the idea of the organic web shooters, because we talked about it being a carryover from the original James Cameron concept. Um, but it was something that's it's sort of, I remember watching it when I was a kid and it was this weird thing that I was like, wait a second, Spider-Man doesn't have web shoot out of his arms. He's supposed to have web shooters. Right. Absolutely. And I, that was, Probably my biggest takeaway from when I first saw it, because I was a massive obsessionist Spider-Man going into the movie, fan going into the movie, and the web shooter thing literally just took me out of the film as I was in it because it just was so weird from someone who had been a Spider-Man fan. Like that's an important part of the Spider-Man mythos is he invented his web shooters. They're a, a limited resource item that he created that he uses. Um, and it's just really cool. And then that means you can have web shooter toys and that sort of stuff. Um, and so it took me out. And I, I vividly remember sitting next to my brother, who um, is not as big a Spider-Man fan as I am, but he is a Spider-Man fan. And I remember him in the theater just going, what the hell? And just being taken aback by it. Looking back, and this is very important, I think, for this show, since we're going to be going through the MCU and what the MCU mo- means for superhero movies. I do understand it because a lot of the audience, and this is something that I know Peaches is going to talk about, um, a lot of the audience is not necessarily versed in Spider-Man. You've got to got to uh, keep that suspension of disbelief for the, um, the characters, or for the, the viewers, sorry. And that's actually something Sam Raimi said. Like, it's weird that all the way back at James Cameron writing in the early 90s a script, we had organic web shooters, and then we keep it all the way. And Sam Raimi said he kept it to keep that suspension of disbelief. He thought it would be hard for the audience to buy... Peter Parker had invented these web shooters. And you know what? I'm a massive Spider-Man fan, but he's right. It's really hard to swallow that a high school kid on his own creates an unlimited supply for himself of the world's greatest super concentrated expanding adhesive. You know, it, Spider-Man's webs would be world changing and some kid just invents them in his basement. Um, and that, that's honestly kind of hard to swallow. Now that's comic books. And you do swallow it when it's a comic book. Um, but in 2002, actually honoring your source material in a comic book wasn't as um, popular as it is now. Uh, and so we've seen Spider-Man movies since then, um, and we've seen the MCU since then. And one of the things that I think we're going to get into as we talk about the MCU 
is not being embarrassed of your source material, but also having a fan base that over time has bought into that. Um, a lot of people, even if they've not necessarily picked up comic books, do get what Thor's about and what Iron Man's about and what Black Panther's about, let alone Spider-Man. And so we're, we now live in a world where the, the, you know, the, the $2 billion worth of people going to see Endgame will buy this stuff. In 2002, that wasn't necessarily true. And so while it, I don't like it and it took me out of the movie and I'm glad that with Tom Holland we've moved towards web shooters, I do get why we went that way originally. And I don't hey, know if hey, you guys hey. agree. You can say Tom Holland all you want, but you can't mention web shooters without mentioning my boy, Andrew Garfield. I certainly can. <laughs> Not in chronological accuracy, but yes, you can. You know, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, Amazing Spider-Man tried to do web shooters the way you would think it would be done, right? They tried to explain it. They showed you the scenes of him making the web shooter and how he did it and the whole thing. And the reason I think Homecoming was so successful is because they just sort of were like, yep, he made this, and they sort of moved on from it. It was just part of the story, whereas Amazing Spider-Man tried to explain it, and then we all realized it kind of doesn't make too much sense. Midichlorins. Absolutely. (laughs) Midichlorins. Absolutely. Peaches, you can go ahead and defend uh, Andrew Garfield if you feel like it. I'll do that on the Amazing Spider-Man episode of whatever we're calling this podcast. <laughs> whatever we're calling this. That's the name, actually. Whatever we're calling this podcast. Oh, yeah. That uh, makes sense thematically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so since you did bring up Peaches's point about this movie being sort of catered to non-superhero fans, Peaches, how about you touch on that for a sec? Because it definitely seems like comparatively to movies that we're doing nowadays – this movie is definitely geared towards a mainstream audience. Oh, yeah. And I'll say this now and probably again in the Iron Man episode just so that people have context in case uh, this uh, test episode doesn't make it out there. But I come from the complete opposite viewpoint as Robbie did. I, for a long time, did not like superhero stuff whatsoever. Um as a kid it didn't appeal to me like i guess you can count power rangers as something that i enjoyed but i was never really into marvel or dc as a kid and then even uh it took me until dark knight came out for me to enjoy superheroes at all and even when that happened it was like i was a big dc is better than marvel (laughs) type of person um i know and that's just how it was for a long time and it honestly wasn't until uh comic book characters begun to have integration into video games a lot more often because they were in video games quite a bit, but they weren't as often and as well done. Um, And it wasn't until then to where I finally started to latch onto this stuff. So coming from the perspective of somebody who did see Spider-Man soon ish after it came out, but didn't really care that much about superheroes. It was definitely made for an audience that had no, no damn clue what was going on. Um, I mean, you can you can watch the movie now and find that so much of it is explained within the first 30 minutes of the movie or so that you wouldn't have to explain to an audience these days. You've got all of this setting up that they do. Even if you notice when they go on their field trip in the movie, they go to this uh, this science lab where they're experimenting on spiders and the scientist is taking them through like three different species of spider. And it's like, this one can jump really far. 
and this one can make webs really well, and this one can do this thing, and we're going to combine them all together and make this super spider. And then if you look in the background, there's literally like a Microsoft PowerPoint presentation of all of the different powers that Spider-Man will have when he gets bitten by the spider. They're just all listed there. And then the spider comes down from the ceiling while Toby is awkwardly taking pictures of Mary Jane, bites him on the hand, uh, a welt the size of a gumball shows up on his hand and he's like, ah, whatever, I'll sleep it off. But right after he gets bit, you can see back on the PowerPoint presentation that a strand of DNA that had some strands missing now has spider ones being injected into it. And it's totally like them saying, hey, here's all these powers that Spider-Man has. He just got them. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, think- totally, it's totally like, like the way that you would talk to a child to make them understand something is how they kind of did this movie. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because people didn't have the same context. That- yes, exactly. Yeah, well, in rewatching the movie, the movie definitely has a lot of late 90s, early 2000s movie trappings, right? Like there are definitely a lot of scenes in this movie where you go, oof. Like there's, I remember watching the, uh, when I just did my rewatch, I watched um, the scene where they're in the, uh, I don't remember what festival they're doing in the middle of Times Square where they've all got the balloons. And there's the little boy who's just standing underneath waiting for uh, <laughs> right. a giant balloon to crash down on him. Some lady He's like, save my baby, and he like he like comes in, and they're like, thanks, Spider Man. I'm like, wow, that was it was really tough to watch. It was it was not a good scene. Since you're talking about that time, I'll remind you that was a Macy Gray concert. That kid was about to you're die. Right. It was that a Macy made. Gray concert. <laughs> Oh my god! No, no, no! I thought it was Mary J. Blige. Was it Macy Gray? Or Mary J. Blige? No, it's Macy. It Macy it's Macy Gray. Gray. Oh my god! It's Macy Played Gray. By Macy Gray. And the festival is Unity Day, put on by Oscorp. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that that whole scene's—it's it, bonkers. Um, yes. and, you know, I really want to touch. We're going to touch on Norman Osborn a little later, but Norman Osborn is really important to this series as a whole. Um, and I, the reason why I think that, because this is going to be one of my points that I want to touch on, and we're going to touch on, it, uh, on the villain a little bit more down the uh, down the line. But from the beginning of the movie, you sort of see the seeds of what's going to happen throughout the rest of the trilogy. You start to see Norman Osborn see Peter as the son he's always wanted, and it's going to start to create this friction and this sort of this sort of dance that Peter and Harry are going to take for the rest of the series, be it good or bad, especially if we think about the third one. Um, But it definitely sort of sets the table. And I don't think without Willem Dafoe's performance, we would have gotten that, right? So I think Willem Dafoe can be credited a lot with, with, I I wouldn't say carrying this movie, but but really instilling uh, what it is to be that villain. And and in a lot of ways, Norman Osborn and Spider-Man are two sides of the same coin. Um, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit because we've got this show set up, but I really want to touch on something because it's going to, it's going to really ring in my point. Both Robbie and I have these top, we are, we all picked quotes and both Robbie and I, um, one of the quotes that we picked is probably the most recognizable quote in the whole film. And I'm going to read, I, I wrote down a little more because I wanted there to be the context of this, but it says, Peter, there, there are the years when a man changes and the man he's going to become the rest of his life. Just be careful who you change into. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. That line right there, with great power comes great responsibility, is 
is quintessential for the duality of Peter or Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, right? They have both been given sort of this gift, this power, and it is a movie that shows you what happens when you take it in each direction, right? Peter is immediately stricken with guilt over what happens to his Uncle Ben. And Norman, in the opposite vein, decides that he's going to use this power to sort of accomplish his means um, no matter what. And so I think the duality there is, is sort of really important. And, and that that quote specifically is really important about talking about this film because I think it's the central, the sort of the central home of this film is that with great power comes great responsibility when you be when you're given this this sort of gift which is something that anybody can relate to sort of um this this thing that you have um you you have to choose well how to use it um i went on for a little bit there but what do you guys think oh no absolutely um and that's actually something sam raimi talks about on the commentary i was watching he does talk about how he really wanted to set up this this thing where Norman wants to be Harry's uh, father figure, um, which is an original concept, which works very well. It wasn't in the comic, but it still works very naturally for the characters. Um, and one thing that I think is very important is not only that, not not only how well Willem Dafoe um, handles it and exactly what you said of two sides of the same coin, but also that in the end, Peter rejects that because an important part of the Peter Parker mythos is that he is not looking. He, he doesn't want another father figure. He's not looking for a mentor. That was Uncle Ben, and he's lost Uncle Ben, and now he's on his own, even if other people don't want him to be on his own. And so that final line, of which did not make our top lines, but almost made mine of, I already had a father. His name is Ben Parker, is really, 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 really important to everything you just said, but to finally hammer home this is about myself and Uncle Ben, not about other people, um, which is something I right. feel like some of the Spider-Man movies since this trilogy have lost. I think even... Uh, I think it's... Go ahead. I was going to say, to add even more context to how important that quote is, a couple of things. I mean, obviously, every Spider-Man movie that has come out since then has included it in some way, shape, or form. Like, it's it's a, it's a, a moral that guides him anyway no matter what he's doing so it, obviously it had to come up it was important but i think the way that peter reacted to that quote for additional context is even more meaningful because he doesn't just hear that and he's not moved by it he hears it and tells ben basically to screw off because ben's not his real dad so he needs to yep. stop acting like it which causes the entire spiral of you know the wrestling match the ignoring the robber and then ultimately what leads to ben dying and kind of learning his lesson like He's told immediately that he should do something with this power for good, and he immediately rejects it and learns his lesson the hardest way he possibly could have. You know, I we had this sort of system in place, but I'm sort of trying to figure out a, a, a sort of a new system in here because I, I think going over each of these buckets individually has some merit to it, but I think also just talking about it organically. Like I want to talk about why uncle Ben is my MVP of this movie. And a lot of it has to do with this because the uncle Ben character when done correctly, which was done correctly in this movie will shape everything that is Spider-Man. Everything that is Peter Parker and Spider-Man is shaped by uncle Ben. That whole scene that we were just talking about, about them in the car with great power comes great responsibility. When he says, stop acting like my father, um, 
that's all really important to how Peter's character progresses. When Peter is standing in the hallway and the robber runs past him and he just kind of lets him go and the guy comes up to him and he says, and this is a quote from the movie, you could have taken that guy apart. Now he's going to get away with my money. And Peter looks at him and he says, I missed the part where that's my problem, which is a line that he says that he said to um, earlier about, I think it was about how much pay he was getting yeah. um, because he didn't beat the guy in however many minutes. Um, the classic. It's the classic uh, repeating of a quote later in the movie that almost all current MCU yep. films do at least twice per film. Right. And we, <laughs> it's just this, this sort of progression of Peter Parker's character. It's the reason why I think uncle Ben is sort of pivotal to the story. And specifically the first, the first act of the story is all about uncle Ben, right? It is the uncle Ben act of, of, of Spider-Man, right? It is uncle Ben uh, sort of teaching Peter the way Peter's going to act for the rest of time that we have Peter here. And I think it is also bled into the other Spider-Man movies, right? Like I think even homecoming can sort of call back to this movie and be like, no, but that's how uncle Ben would have wanted you to be. And to be honest, the way homecoming deals with it is they sort of turn Tony Stark into uncle Ben. Yep. Yes. Which I'm just, um... I am just piecing together now, but Yes, they, that is one of my issues. They essentially use Tony Stark as Uncle Ben. Correct. That's a weird thing. And it thing. looks like there's going to be more of that in uh, Far From Home. I mean, we we just had like a, a weird argument between Marguerite and Robbie at, at uh, dinner the other night about this same thing. Really? Really? I want to hear it. What happened? Well, we, well can, so- we can tell you in the Spider-Man Homecoming episode. <laughs> Oh, okay. No, but Eduardo, we decided I should not be on the homecoming episode because I'll just be a bummer. Got it. Well, <laughs> that's why you're not going to be on Black Panther either. <laughs> just like Black Panther, I do like both movies. And in the in the case of Homecoming, just let me put it on record, I don't dislike Homecoming, and I definitely don't think it's objectively a bad movie. Um, it is. I think it's not a great movie for a Spider-Man diehard, is what it's not. Um like it doesn't it specifically does not appeal to me as a Spider-Man obsessionist. That's separate from whether or not it's a well-made movie. I actually think it is. Well, we can cover that and if you're still interested, we'll be doing a Spider-Man Homecoming episode here. <laughs> uh I pretty see that. Now, Peaches, I want to talk to you about this ominous ominous little general discussion topic you put in here that the DC universe exists inside the Marvel universe. What are you talking about? It's not that ominous, but okay. So, so a, I'm like having a hard time keeping up in the notes where you're at. <laughs> so I'm we'll bouncing to, around all over the place. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know. No, it's fine. Just because we're this is the figure it out episode, so it's fine. Right. So the reason that I wrote that is because um, at first I kind of thought it was coincidental that when when Toby is you know Park Peter sorry <laughs> I had to use Toby because there's so many fucking Peter Parkers okay <laughs> when Peter is trying to figure out how the web comes out of his body you know he's trying to figure it out he says all these things i'll just throw my one of my favorite quotes in here in my top 3 the go web fly up up and away web shazam go 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 web go like he does all those things and he says shazam which is not necessarily a reference to DC Comics. It's absolutely a reference. People are allowed to say the word Shazam in a comic book way. But it just felt kind of like they were alluding to the DC Universe. And not only that, 
there's a scene where he's talking to Aunt May later in the film, and I actually don't remember if it's in the first one or if it's in it the second the one. one. Um, but but she tells Peter because he's trying to do so much with his time. Um, she tells him, "You're not Superman, you know." So Superman being in it makes me makes the Shazam thing feel a little bit stronger, you know. Well, and interestingly enough, previous to this movie. DC had a stranglehold on the superhero movie marketplace. There were not Marvel movies out there that did any any sense of good before Spider-Man, right? Like, no. we're, we're, it was Spider-Man that sort of started the renaissance. And that's one of the points that I wanted to talk about. That We're, we're going to do an Iron Man episode, and we're going to give a lot of credit to Iron Man for starting the MCU. And it's a lot of it is well-deserved. But even before Spider-Man, or even before Iron Man... Spider-Man is the movie that really started it all. Spider-Man is the movie that really began this superhero renaissance in movies that we're enjoying to this very day. And so when we think about, and we're going to do the episode on Iron Man here next week, when we think about Iron Man, we also have to think, man, without Iron Man or without Spider-Man, there would be no Iron Man right now, right? Without Spider-Man? Oh, absolutely. What about Blade? Blade was 1998, so maybe it was the first one. Well, but it was bad. <laughs> no, well, I also, I also <laughs> the first X Men. Let me tell the you, the first X Men came out before Spider Man, but it was gritty and dark and sad. Well, right, Spider Man. I mean, look at just look at the suit. Look at the Spider Man suit. As far as superhero movies go, Spider Man was a huge risk, right? They comparatively compared to other superhero properties. Take X Men for example. They were very true to the source material comparatively to other other properties right like specifically x-men um oh absolutely i remember because i was following the production cycle of spider-man and i i just assumed they were going to come up with some sort of like realistic tactical uh spider-man costume for you know a a movie audience and i remember the first time i saw toby Maguire in the spider-man suit with smaller eyes but that's about the only nitpick i lost my mind they were actually going to do a spider-man suit with red and blue and webs and it like it was it was really different from anything we'd seen, not since Superman in the 70s. Right. Yeah. And they had sort of, and even the Batman movies had sort of started to take a more gritty approach with, you know, the Tim Burton movies and things like that. And so, you know, Spider-Man really is sort of the, 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 the precipice of every superhero sort of universe that goes on there. Now, Robbie, you are the resident... I wouldn't want to call you the Spider-Man expert because we're all Spider-Man experts right. here, but you're definitely the self self-proclaimed Spider-Man fanboy yes. here. Um, and you you put in the notes here that there was tons of fan service for Spider-Man, and I want to elaborate on that a little bit um, because it, it seems like you have a, a real connection to the character, and there's something that's missing. And it's interesting because the thing that's missing in this movie, I think, is present in both of the other franchises. Absolutely. So the Spider-Man franchise. Oh, absolutely. So like there's so much. I mean, they actually have Joe Robbie Robinson and he looks like himself. They actually have a really authentic JK Simmons, which I'll leave alone cuz we'll get to that later. The, um, they they brought in Betty Brant. They brought in and there's all these side characters. Dr. Mendel Strom is in it. Um they there's little little pieces all over the movie that are just perfect Spider-Man fan service that like they they like they were taking the comic and putting on the pages. But one of the most important parts of the character Spider-Man is his quipping, is his his wisecracking, his constant chatter, 
Um, the fact that he doesn't shut up. And like next to maybe Deadpool, Spider-Man is the funniest comic book character. It, it, it's Reading Spider-Man is enjoyable because it is also funny just because of his talking. Um, and he's got a really smart mouth. And, and back in the 60s, Peter Parker had a smart mouth. Just no one listened to him. And then when he was Spider-Man, he just couldn't stop talking. Um, and, and so that was one of my biggest disappointments in the movie is that in the movie, he's silent. He doesn't say a word. When he does, he's very serious and heroic. Um, and it's weird because I think this is important for this series since we're going into the MCU and some people don't like the MCU. Not many. There are a couple people that don't like the MCU, like literally two, because they don't like all the quips. They think it's trying too hard to be funny. Less, What's that? Slightly less than the amount of people that own a Wii. Correct. Correct. And none of them are in this podcast. <laughs> um, but the, the MCU has fantastic humor. And I mean, maybe at times it's a little too much, but it's important, I think, to those movies that brevity and that's what we're going to get to that's why eduardo you want us coming up with our top three lines because the mcu movies have great one-liners um they have the characters even thor shakespearean thor's got a sense of humor and so that's really important and yet back in 2002 the character who has sense of humor as a hallmark to his character has nothing and that's one of my big uh disappointments in this movie and it's really going to be interesting that we started here and then we're going to compare it to these other movies where basically Star-Lord is basically Spider-Man in the way he talks. He's a little bit more vulgar. But that, that constant nonsense from Star-Lord, that's Spider-Man. That's Peter Parker with a mask on when he gets his confidence. Maybe maybe the quipping was the line for them. Like, maybe that was the line in the sand where they were like, okay, we want to bring um, a comic book movie that's way more true to the actual comic book than all of these other ones have been. What are all the things we can get away with and what are the things that we can't? Maybe they thought that him being too funny like that would have, I don't know, it would have just pushed it too far or something. I think that's correct. I, never, I was trying to find it, but at the time I remember Sam Raimi being a big Spider-Man fan, but talking about how him talking through his mask was weird and didn't fit in the movie. Well, I also could see them being like, they didn't understand how to make this movie have gravity and also have those comedic points. Like they hadn't gotten there yet. That's something that mm -hmm. the MCU has perfected over years and specifically phase three of the MCU has hit out of the park. But especially at the beginning, they didn't really know how to strike that balance of a movie that can give you that a lot of gravity, but can also have these moments of relief of comedy and relief that sort of ebb and flow throughout the movie. And I think at this time they thought, Maybe it was too much of a risk, right? We, we add all these clips in and then we sort of lose the gravity of the story that we're telling. And we, we all know now that that's not the case and that you're able to do it if it's done well. But it took Marvel, you know, almost 20 movies to figure it out. Right. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great point. I think that it feels hard to have that importance of what's going on with, you know, a lighter side and with comedic relief. Um, but it's clearly been proven you can do it. And it's sad that that wasn't done with these Spider-Man movies. Well, and it's interesting because there have been, go ahead. I was going to say that being said, I am excited when we get to the part where we actually list our favorite quotes. I mean, this is later, but almost like all of mine are funny things. <laughs> like all of my favorite. <laughs> well, the movie has some humor. It definitely does. Yeah. But well, and it definitely like, looking back on it, some of the things that maybe weren't supposed to be humorous are also just like really funny now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're cheesy. They're really cheesy. Yes. 
Right, yeah. right. Um, no and, one you know, says no to me. <laughs> we we talk about sort of the other the other Marvel or the other Spider Man properties or the other Spider Man trilogies that have sort of come out of trilogies because the other one was supposed to be a trilogy and did not get two. Um, but the other Spider Man, we'll call them movie, we'll call them films. The other Spider Man films, sure. Um, we've got Tobey Maguire's Spider Man. We've got Andrew Garfield's Spider Man, and now we have Tom Holland's Spider Man, and. We've gone through, what is it at this point, um, five, six Spider-Man movies in total, and I don't think we've scratched the surface. And we'll, we'll throw Enter the Spider-Verse in there, too. I don't think we've scratched the surface of all that Spider-Man has, mm-hmm. right? Spider-Man, more so than I think almost any superhero, probably besides Batman, has more more source material for his character and for for all the different things that he's sort of been through than almost any other character. You could continue to just make a Spider-Man universe, which, to be fair, Sony tried and couldn't figure out how to do it. But there's enough source material there to make just the Spider-Man universe and make several films just based off of Spider-Man. Absolutely. And to the Spider-Verse. Well, Enter the Spider-Verse is there, but, you know, Sony was going to do this, right? Sony was going to make a Spider-Man sort of universe. They were going to – there was going to be, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man. Then they had Venom slated. Then they had a Sinister Six movie slated. And they had all these different movies slated. And then it all sort of fell apart after Amazing Spider-Man 2, which we're not going to watch because, god damn, I don't want to watch that movie again. Um, well, it's not in the MCU, so we're safe. It's, thank god. Um, but it just goes to show how much this movie – sort of proves that Spider-Man is this character that, that sort of has this wealth of knowledge and sort of wealth of material around him that could be built on forever. Whereas I think other characters specifically in the MCU need the MCU to be successful, right? I don't think an Ant-Man movie is successful without the MCU. And I think it maybe could have been a good movie, but I don't think it really truly reaches where it got to without the rest of the MCU behind it building to that moment. Whereas a Spider-Man movie, specifically a Spider-Man movie like this, has legs of its own and will sort of always have legs of its own. Absolutely. And that's a pun on spiders. Solid. They have legs? You got good quips, Eduardo. <laughs> Dang. We can't cast him as the next Spider-Man. <laughs> no, but I agree, and that's one of my great disappointments, is that we keep rebooting Spider-Man. And that's I, everything I said about Homecoming and alluded to about Homecoming and, and what Peaches know I feel about Homecoming I'm still really excited that at least maybe we can have a Spider-Man franchise that survives long enough to do all this and to do it right. Not do Electro as blue goo that flies, but do do them, you know, believable, but to the source material. Because you're right, there's so many villains. And instead we got – so we got a really good – a pretty good Green Goblin. I think we could do a better Green Goblin. We got a really good Dr. Octopus, a really good Sandman, um, and then butchered Venom. And then butchered the Green Goblin, and then didn't butcher the Rhino because he wasn't around long enough, <laughs> and just w- – Lizard was all right. But you're right. There's all this source material, and instead of building upon it, we just keep rebooting. And so I really hope that we can play with Tom Holland's universe for long enough to not reboot, to actually mine everything Spider-Man can do. Um, and something I didn't put in the notes, but I kind of talked about um, offhand, is when they were going through the production hell of this movie, at one point they were going to have David Fincher do a Spider-Man movie. And what he was going to do was he was just going to do the not an origin story, but the night that Gwen Stacy died, which would be a phenomenal movie. And that's the kind of thing I want to see. And, and 
Amazing Spider-Man did not do it well, or two did not do it well, so we can ignore that. Um, but that that darkest moment in Peter Parker's life, um, even darker than Uncle Ben, um, you know, a, a villain really getting the best of him, like all of that is, uh, and his arch nemesis getting the best of him, that sort of thing I want to see. I don't want to just see build him up and then reboot. Right. Well, and to be, in my opinion, I think they handled the death well. I think immediately after the death is where they just yeah. threw it in the trash. Like, I think the whole, the entire scene was done, I think, fairly faithfully. Um, but specifically, everything that happens after that is just a disappointment. Just Right. Um, well, and that Green Goblin didn't earn that moment the way the Green Goblin in the comics Fair. Did. And that's absolutely fair. Specifically because that Green Goblin was fucking weird. Yes. <laughs> Um, now we've talked about Gwen Stacy because we're, we're touching on Gwen Stacy here, but she's not the leading lady of our movie. The leading lady of our movie is MJ and, and Peaches, you have some feelings about Toby Maguire and his interactions with MJ throughout this movie. Oh dude, he's just, he's just so awkward. He's just so awkward. And I know, well, I guess I shouldn't say no, because I'm not like the, I'm not the comic expert side of uh of spider-man that robbie is but i at least it is it's come to my to my knowledge that he is supposed to have been an awkward high schooler but like he is so awkward i was talking to marguerite while i was watching these movies because we were just watching them like together but separate you know what i mean like she was watching too while i was yeah, watching separate but equal. got it yeah yeah something like that and <laughs> i would like every time he talks to mj and she says anything that could remotely key him in that she is interested in him. He is just staring with like serial killer eyes into her forehead, drooling the thought of everything like 50. I didn't actually do the statistics on this, but 50% of the interactions that he has with MJ in the first movie he does not respond to something that she is saying to him because he's busy just staring at her with his mouth wide open. <laughs> he's just so awkward. Right. To be fair, I, I don't know if that's as much Spider-Man as that is Tobey Maguire because in, in a lot of Tobey Maguire movies, that's just how he is. Like, that is literally just... You know those actors that can play different characters? Tobey Maguire is not that kind of actor. Tobey Maguire plays Tobey Maguire. He's like a Michael <laughs> and, uh, He's like a Nicolas Cage, you know, like <laughs> sort of play. You don't. You <laughs> After a while, it just gets awkward. Like, and then even like in some of the other times when he does respond to her, he just says something stupid. Like, which that is more believable. You know, like that's more believable for a person who is crushing hard on another person to get into a conversation and then say something completely moronic. That's normal. That's like I'm trying to say something intelligent. But like looking at you gives me butterflies. So I don't know what to say instead of just staring at her and drooling on your shoes. Like, come on. <laughs> not just some anonymous girl in this. It's his next door neighbor since he was six. Right. Like she's he, they've known each other forever. It's not like like you should be at least a little used to talking to her by now. Right. So yeah, it's, it's a little awkward. Yeah, it is. Well, and I think that around that time. That's how we showed awkward in movies. Um, it's awkward was, right, it was complete stupidity. Instead of just <laughs> like, like it was not now with the office and parks and rec and community, people know how to do awkward. And back then it's, I feel like we did not know how to do awkward in movies. 
here, but to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I think one of the reasons this movie was so successful is because a lot of people identified with Peter Parker, right? Like me. Think about superhero movies previous to this, your Supermans, your Batmans, you know, your X-Men. We're talking larger than life people who are all badasses and chiseled and, you know, know how to talk and all this different thing, all these different things. And then you've got Spider-Man, this awkward kid who doesn't know what to do with anything that he's given and he's just trying to get by. And I think for a lot of people that was relatable. And, you know, we, we're going to move on here and, and Iron Man is going to sort of go back to the – to the original the original type of superhero but spider-man has always been the superhero of the people right is that somebody somebody that you can relate to right absolutely that's that was why spider-man was my thing and honestly i like spider-man more as i started going through high school than i than i did when i was a kid i like spider-man as far back as i can remember when i was a kid it was just a cool comic book when i was in high school it was look this kid's a this well, i mean he was a guy at that point but this dude is a is a geeky, awkward nerd, but you know he puts on this costume and he's cool and everyone loves him and he gets to do whatever he feels like. And um, I guess in a way he was a nice guy who maybe should wear a fedora, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> it's it, it was it was an entry point. It was something you could relate to in comics. And and part of what set Spider-Man apart and set this movie apart as well, I believe, is that. Peter Parker's life is interesting. He's not just the dude who you're just waiting for him to put the mask on. Like when he's got the mask on, you're also interested in, I want to see what happens when he goes back to his real life. Well, and you can argue that the rest of the MCU, even though this is an MCU, but the MCU in general took a lot of notes from that, right? They, they definitely decided to have a compelling hero. He needs to also be compelling at other times, which we're going to talk about Iron Man next episode, but that's literally the Iron Man formula. You want Iron Man to be interesting? Tony Stark has to be interesting. Yeah, honestly, Tony Stark. No, keep going. Right? Yeah, no. Tony Stark, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, like, everything you're saying, I'm realizing, and I've never had this this uh, thought before, but basically, Tony Stark is rich Peter Parker in the MCU. He, he is, yeah. he, he's serving the role that Spider-Man would, even as far as being basically the mascot character of the MCU franchise. Um, it's just, he's rich. Well, yeah, right. You, I, I know you talked about Star Wars, but if I think about the quippiest MCU hero, mm-hmm. it would be Iron Man for yep. me. Like Iron Man is the one who's going around saying quips and and doing you know fun he's stuff never, like that. He's never serious for the most part, even when he's in danger. I mean, right. in in Infinity War, when um, Ebony Maw comes down to steal the Time Stone, dude's like. Squidward, Earth is closed. Like, <laughs> he's got an alien floating on a rock next to a giant hulking secondary alien, and he tells him that he's Squidward and he needs to leave. Right. And then Spider-Man shows up and he's like, um, there's some aliens trying to steal a necklace from a wizard, or whatever the quote actually is. <laughs> Which will like, be in my top three for that episode, by the way. hearts where he's serious. But it's like it works really well. So I, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that the newest version of, of Spider-Man gets to be funny and quippy like that too. But yeah, it definitely feels like they made Iron Man that, like they took that part of Spider-Man and inserted it into Iron Man. Yes, definitely. So our last big talking point, at least throughout for the general discussion section is going to be about the final fight. Now, Robbie, I know you wanted to touch on this, um, but specifically that final fight is, is something that's 
taken directly from the comic books and sort of sets the tone for where the rest of the series is going. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, we talked about how, about the film having weight. And I think that's what's good about the final showdown in this movie is that it has so much weight. They just do such a good job of, in everything, in in how it's shot, in the music. And we haven't talked about how great the score is, but the score is I think the score in this is better than any of the MCU movies. Um, and everything just sets up that moment to be huge. And then it's there's extra gravity to it because, yeah, it's basically ripping the night that Gwen Stacy died and putting it on screen just with Mary Jane and some school kids instead. And But it has all that weight. But also it sets itself apart from most superhero movies to that point um, and kind of combine you know, segues into what the MCU becomes where it's still hopeful and uplifting and exciting. Like it's, it has gravity and it has weight and the green goblin is legitimately terrifying. And these, there's high stakes here, but Spider-Man is not angsty. He jumps into action and gets the impossible done. You know, the point is he's supposed to make a choice and he says, no, I won't choose. I will save everyone. Um, and then it has that positive moment, which is yes. Okay. New Yorkers sticking together in a crisis is a cliche in film. Whatever. It felt really good in 2002 because of what had happened a few months earlier. And it was a, it, that's a cool moment and it's a happy moment. And it was, it was such a breath of fresh air when that movie came out to be so optimistic and be so genuine and sincere and not um, cynical and dark, um, which is something the MCU has proven is successful. And it kind of started here with, uh, with that showdown, with Spider-Man being able to save the day, with the New Yorkers banding together, with the barge coming in, and with the Green Goblin realizing that you know they aren't all going to turn on Spider-Man, they're not all going to hate Spider-Man, and so I, I felt like that was a big moment. And then, then when he carries Spider-Man away, and there's the whole showdown um, in the the little abandoned warehouse. That's like like those punch. You feel those punches watching it, uh, and and that was also just shot so well. It just feels better than I feel like most showdowns do in movies because it just had a lot of gravity and it had a lot of weight and it had the family connection um and then it was cool that it even came down to the green goblin dies literally the same way he died in the comics and of course you know like two decades later they retconned that and now norman osborne is still alive and honestly it's better for norman osborne being alive but i digress they killed him the same way in the movie they killed him in the comics and i thought that was a nice touch as well so he glided yeah. himself in the comics too yeah so in the comics he kills gwen stacy well okay in the comics, he throws Gwen Stacy off a bridge. Spider-Man catches her, and her neck snaps when he catches yeah. her. Um, so Spider-Man takes the blame, but really he threw her off a bridge. Um, and then Spider-Man gets all angsty, tracks down the Green Goblin, beats him nearly to death, and then decides, but, you know, I'm not going to kill you because I'm Spider-Man. I don't kill. Um, and then the Green Goblin has the glider come in behind him. Spider-Man jumps out of the way because of Spider-Sense glider. Um, impales him and kills him. Hmm. And then, and that, so that was in the mid seventies. And then in the early two thousands, they brought him back to life. Yeah. That's pretty normal. <laughs> that's yeah. normal in comics. <laughs> you know, and it was explained that it was explained that he had an advanced healing factor broke out of the morgue and has been behind all the terrible things happening to Spider-Man ever Whoa. since. Yeah. Yes. Goblin super serum. The uh, the torn mask Spider-Man is like used 
so much in the comic book that I'm really glad it made its mm-hmm. way into the movie. Sort of this, yes. this the the Peter Parker with half the like mask sort of being torn off his face, and it's sort of exposing part of his face. It's like it's used in the animated series, it's used in the comic books, it's used almost everywhere. And so I'm glad it's it made its way in that fight. Dude, to be fair, absolutely, they didn't really need to use torn mask um, Spider Man because. Toby Maguire takes his mask off in pretty much every situation anyway. It's it's, it's unreal to me that the and entire state of New York doesn't know who, who Spider-Man is by the yes, end of those three Absolutely. Movies. Like, he'll be just sitting on top of a building that's not really that tall, and he just doesn't have his mask on. Or, like, in Spider-Man 3, I know I'm jumping ahead with this one, but in Spider-Man 3, when they're having the parade because he saved Gwen Stacy from the building, like, he's standing maybe seven stories up on top of a building waiting to swing in and he doesn't have his mask on. <laughs> He's just always is taking yep. it off. Like they give Tom Holland yep. shit like as more of a meme giving shit that he never has his mask on. But I think Toby did that first. <laughs> I think yeah. I he, agree. Just almost, he shouldn't have a mask. <laughs> Joking. Yes. That, that's something we made fun of back then as well. Keep it. In, in that moment in time, I was extremely online talking about movies and people griped about him taking his mask off constantly. Well, keeping in the theme of making fun of things, I want to get to the rest of these quotes here because we basically touched on all the serious quotes, but we've got a lot of really funny quotes. So whoever would like to go first with their next quote, be my guest. Do we, Peaches, do we just want to do all of them at once? Like, we don't have to do a take turns thing, right? What do we, sure, what, do we yeah, do? whatever you want. Okay, so yeah, my quotes all ended up being funny things. I had four of them written down because I was taking notes while I was watching. Um, And I ended up going with these ones because I think while the great power, great responsibility line is obviously very important to the character, um, it and I like it had an effect on me. I'd probably put it fourth on my list just because, you know, it's something that is kind of expected. These other things were not really expected. So and all of them are kind of the quippy. So the first one I already alluded to is when Peter's trying to figure out how to use his organic web shooter. And he's saying, go web, fly, up, up, and away, web, shazam, go, 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 web, go. I just think that it's so funny that, you know, he accidentally made web happen without saying anything. And then he decides <laughs> that he has to voice activate his organic web shooter. Like, it's just so weird that he's doing that. Secondary point, not to do with the quote, do you guys think it would hurt to use that like yes it makes me uncomfortable to watch yeah, it. just, yeah. <laughs> it's coming out of his wrist and then he's like holding on to it unless he cut it off mm-hmm. every time like it's got to be pulling on him you know you ever yeah, think about it just, okay never mind like we'll move on to my my ex quote my other two quotes are quippy because they're both from <laughs> they're both from fights with the green goblin so um chronologically i'll go chronological i laughed out loud so hard when they first they first meet for the first time and they're fighting during that that uh macy gray concert and he land (laughs) spider-man lands on the ground where green goblin is standing and he goes to punch him and green green goblin grabs spider-man's fist with his hand and just goes impressive (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why, but it was just so funny to me. Like, 
he's taunting him by saying his punch is really strong, basically. And it kind of echoed the way that Norman was acting. I think why it made me laugh is because it just echoed how weird Norman was like socially earlier in the movie. Uh, one of the things I wrote down is that um, early in the movie, when they meet for the first time, they basically have a, I heard you like Mudkips moment. Uh, (laughs) they meet meet, and i didn't i didn't write down the exact quote but when harry introduces peter to norman he's like ah i heard you're into scientists i'm a scientist myself like yes (laughs) was just kind of like an added like an addition to all the weird shit he's already said um and then the last quote that i had that I again just made me laugh, and it was true to Spider-Man's quippiness. Was when they're fighting in the their final destination in like the factory area, um, and um, they're fighting, and Peter says to um, Goblin, "It's you who's out, Gobby, out of your mind. Like it's a your mommy. <laughs> like, like no, your mom. It's just I don't know. It just felt kind of weird, but funny at the same time. I remember when I saw and, that in theaters. No, go ahead, finish." No, I was just going to say, it just it just felt like the character that you described, like, you know, making jokes even in the middle of a fight. Like, that's, to me, that is him being the most him that he can be. Right. When I, when I saw that in theaters, I thought that line was them trying to include a quip, but, like, doing it awkwardly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was awkward because it's Tobey Maguire playing Peter Parker. But it was still something where it's like, okay, yeah, he can he can be a smartass. He's doing it. He's doing it right now. <laughs> right. Out of your mind. Your mom. <laughs> anyway, that, that's all of mine. Should I go and then let host go? Yeah, go for it. All right, so my number three um, was, and this will tie to it again to something else we're going to say, uh, but just honestly, I could just do a whole list of things Jane Joan Jameson says, um, but I'm a really big fan of his, of. It's not slander. I resent that. Slander is spoken in print. It's libel. <laughs> Just the delivery of that is what makes it because he's so outraged that it's not slander just because he's got his terminology wrong. It, it's semantics, and he's angry about his semantics. My number two um, is honestly for the same reason that the you who's out gobby line um, when he says, well, Beat's taking the subway. Don't mind us, folks. She just had to take the elevator after he drops Mary Jane off on top of the building, which, by the way, why did he do that? He could have just left her in Times Square, but he carries her away and leaves her on top of a skyscraper and then runs away. Um, it's more impressive. <laughs> because, <laughs> that was about the only time in that movie to me that Spider-Man was, you know, sarcastic and funny. Um, and, you know, then he jumps away. <laughs> then he jumps away and says, you know, you know who I am, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, and so I liked that because that was Spider-Man quipping. Um, and my number one is really boring, although when I wrote it, I figured I'm going to write this, no one's going to make fun of me, and then uh, Eduardo also included it, and then apparently Peaches almost included it, but that's with great power comes great responsibility, which is boring, but that is that driving line that sets up Spider-Man since 1962 has set up Spider-Man is so important to the character, and they included it in the movie so well, um, and it was just so satisfactory to actually see them have that have that line moved and i really miss it that it hasn't been said explicitly in the mcu yet you know uh, 
Along with that line, I think the line that he says at the end of the movie, which is my last quote here, um, they sort of go hand in hand. No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, the ones I love will always be the ones who pay. And that's sort of a direct nod to Gwen Stacy, if you think about it. And it's sort of it's sort of, in my opinion, foreshadowed the eventual death of Gwen Stacy that was going to happen on the uh, in the in the universe and they they never got there, but it sort of was this constant theme of Peter Parker. And at the very end of the movie, when um, MJ is like, you know, let's, let's be together. It's finally time. And Peter's like, well, no, I can't, you know, I'm, you're always going to be in danger with me, which is sort of a common trope in, in superhero movies. And it's interesting because um, the MCU sort of takes this idea and goes on its head because Almost no one in the MCU actually has a right. secret identity, um, right. but it, it, it's something that had been part of superheroes for forever was the secret identity because if whoever knows your secret identity could go after the ones that you love. And so it's this thing that, that, that Peter's constantly, constantly battle with. The responsibility he has to save those around him is greater than you know how much he deserves to be in love with someone. Right. And it, it, I think it's really telling for the character, and I think it's you know it sort of moves on. We're going to talk about our M- MVPs here, and uh, you've already touched on J. Jonah Jameson here, and I'm going to agree with you that J.K. Simmons is literally the perfect actor for this, and so much so that if you go on and we t- this is in your notes here a little later, but if we if you go on the Spider-Man attraction. It's almost like they're the same person. Like the the guys that they get for the uh, for the animated series, and the guys that get the guy that voices on the the attraction. It's almost like it's just J.K. Simmons out there, mm-hmm. and he's just <laughs> so perfect for that role. Absolutely, and and it it just not just not just his voice, like his like visually, he just they put that hair on him, and he looks like J. Jonah Jameson, and he he delivers it so perfectly. It was just mind-blowing it was just absolutely crazy how accurate they got j jonah jameson um and i I don't think i've ever seen anything like that in any sort of example of book or comic to film um it was it was like he was born to play the character you know and go ahead no and and i like that he's in it and i like that he has a big role in these movies because and i know why it's he's been missing from spider-man movies since which sucks because spider-man being a photographer and the Daily Bugle and, and J.K. Simmons and the people of the Daily Bugle, those are important to the Spider-Man universe and they've been left out. But you know, the reason is because you're never going to top J.K. Simmons. So what are you going to do? I, he said he would be willing to come back and do the role again. Please, please, please. I think they already cast it actually though for Did they? Far From Home. I'm going to look that up while the dwarf continues. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know who it is, but it's like a day or two old news. I think Peaches, I've already it. talked about my um, MVP, uh, who is Uncle Ben. Did you have an MVP for the movie? I had a hard time deciding because I think that so many characters have really important roles in the movie, and it's hard to pick one that I would say most carries the film because they all play, obviously, such a big part. And for that reason, it's like, well... If I'm being mathematical about this, all of them play a part that directly intertwines with Spider-Man, so therefore Spider-Man is the person that carries the film. Uh, it's tough, though, because, you know, you said Uncle Ben. It's hard to disagree with Uncle Ben because Peter wouldn't have had the revelation 
of his morals and his code and that sort of thing. If it weren't for Ben, um, Jameson also is pivotal in, in his career. Um, Mary Jane also, like there are a lot of times it feels like he is choosing between doing the thing that's actually right and doing the thing that allows him to be with Mary Jane more often. But that just might have been the way that they had to put her as damsel in distress as many times as they did. I don't know. It's tough to say who carries the film other than the title character when so many people bring important aspects of his character but you know, out. I think this you movie know. more than any of the other ones, like I think Spider-Man 2 really is a Spider-Man movie, but this first one is much more, in my opinion, a movie about the people around Spider-Man. It is much more a movie about the people who have shaped Spider-Man into the person that he is. And I think Spider-Man 2 really takes that and then goes, all right, well, what does Peter do with that? But I think this first one is really geared towards how did we shape Peter? How did Peter get here? And who was pivotal in that? Who was pivotal in the shaping of Spider-Man, the shape of Spider-Man by Guillermo del Toro? Um, (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) But I think the MVP of this movie can be just anyone. And I know I'm going to go literally exactly the opposite of what you just said. But I think the MVP of this movie is anyone who's not Spider-Man. Because I think this movie really focuses on those that have affected him. And at the end of the day, they're all affecting his character. But I think it's those performances by everyone else. Because to be honest, Tobey Maguire in this movie is like a bowl of plain pasta. He, that man is he is white bread in this movie. I mean, I we kind of said the same thing. I mean, that's what I mean is that all of those characters contribute to his character overall. Also, he narrates the movie. Sure. Not very often, but the beginning and the end, he's like telling you, you know, who he is and explaining the story. I don't know. It's tough because I, I don't feel like I can pick just one, you know? They're like potato chips, these characters. I cannot pick <laughs> just one. I think a character we can all agree was successful in this movie is the Green Goblin. Now, the Green Goblin is the quintessential Spider-Man supervillain. So much so that it's been attempted to do it. They've attempted to do it more than once. And this is the only time with Willem Dafoe that it's actually worked. Um, You know, you you see um, they try to do some weird Green Goblin thing with Harry later on with James Franco and it doesn't work. The one from Amazing Spider-Man 2 definitely doesn't work um and so i I think it's willem defoe's performance here is really important because of how and we talked about this earlier because of how it plays alongside toby mcguire's performance because of how they sort of start on similar paths and then go in opposite directions all within that same theme of with great power comes great responsibility and i don't think this movie does well with any other villain I think it needs the Green Goblin. I think it needs Willem Dafoe. I think it needs to set all of these seeds in place for the rest of the franchise. Oh, I agree. Um, And Spider-Man is unique in that for just about any superhero, no matter how big their rogues gallery is, they've got a very clear arch nemesis. But Spider-Man is weird because he kind of has three. Um, Because Doc Ock is kind of his arch nemesis 1B. But then in the 80s and 90s, it was Venom was his arch nemesis. Um, and right. so it's really kind of weird, but kind of, I guess the hallmark one, the one that is the most, 
um, eye-catching and the one that does exactly what you were talking about of giving you two sides of the same coin of giving you irresponsibility with power basically is the green goblin and i i completely agree with you i don't think it works with um with dr octopus as much as i love him i don't think it works with venom i don't think it works with scorpion or electro or vulture it works with green goblin now let me tell you if anyone and i don't either of you have played it i know peaches has played a little bit but the ps4 spider-man game might just be the best one of the best spider-man stories ever told and it does this with doc ock and it is fantastic i just absolutely amazing and so if you haven't played it i highly 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 recommend i'm trying to get back into it there's just so much on the plate yeah i feel that i feel that on several levels um (laughs) i might next month just to play spider-man god bless let me know how it is when you get it then (laughs) um now we we all know it's not an mcu film um, but if it was, where would you put it in sort of the hierarchy of MCU films? It's it, to me, it has to get at least some high nod because of sort of the. I mean, if if we give Iron Man the nod that we give it, Spider Man has to be given a lot of the same respect, right? Because it set the tone for the rest of this sort of superhero era. Uh, I kind of uh, because I knew that we couldn't relate this to the actual MCU. I kind of. Uh, went a, a little crazy, maybe, and watched oh. all three of them. Uh, nice. <laughs> and just thought about how how it contributed to the whole. So from that regard, um, I think of the three in the Tobey Maguire Marvel Spider-Man universe, uh, I'd say it's probably second. Um, I usually have a hard time... See, okay, so for me, I usually have a hard time with origin stories because... They feel rushed. Uh, they feel like hour and a half long montages. Uh, and it always feels like the character will learn about their, they'll get their powers or they'll learn about their powers. And then one two minute montage later, they are the leading expert on their power and they have been good at it for so long. And it's like they never had to experiment with it whatsoever. Now, I will say, the thing that I like about this Spider-Man movie is that that is not even close to the case. Like he has no idea what's going on. There's a lot right. of slow buildup to him learning about his powers and learning about how to use them. Um, but I think the second movie just does a better job of telling a story because we didn't have to have another origin story because we just had one. So I think that it's probably second out of three. We all know that the third one sits at the bottom and dies um but but i think overall it just set up a great a great character for them to play around with in these other films one of which they did successfully and one of which is a film that happened i agree with that um and i think the best part of a superhero franchise is the part of the story where the superhero is at his best and then something rises up to challenge that um and i think Part of the problem is that Spider-Man 3 should have been, because Spider-Man 2 still kind of waffled a little bit with losing his powers because he's not sure and that sort of thing. Spider-Man 3 really should have been, he's now the dominant creature in New York City, and oops, here's Venom. Um, like, 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 for instance, uh, the, the, the Dark Knight trilogy, part of what makes the second one so good is 
Batman is now a, a dominant character, and the Joker rises up to give him problems. Um, that said, to actually get to Eduardo's question, um, I think this would rank very highly in the MCU. I honestly think it belongs behind the ones that I think are the absolute best, behind the you know the the Infinity Wars and End Games and uh, Winter Soldiers. But I don't think it's behind much other than that. I think it really holds up very well. I think missing some pieces, um, it visually does not hold up to where we are in superhero movies now. But in terms of its heart, in terms of its um, how exciting it is, um, it, it's absolutely – it is almost like it's an MCU movie that's not in the MCU. It's really just missing humor is the only piece. Yeah, I'm really interested to see, and this is something that I've wanted for a while, and the actors have talked about doing this and wanted to do this, but they've talked about having Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield make cameos in one of the Spider-Man movies, and I would live for that. Oh. I would live live action. Absolutely. Well, in Into the Spider-Verse, the, um, the Chris Pine Spider-Man in Into the Spider-Verse is basically Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Right. Like the little montage at the start of the stuff he goes through, he's going through the movies. Yeah, right. and he talks about the the weird walking down like they even make fun of the weird walking down the street thing from the third movie. <laughs> the like they go out of their way to say he went through the, a weird time, and he's like pointing at everybody and flipping his hair. And... Wait, that's that's not Chris Pine. Yep, Chris Pine yeah. is the voice of the spider oh, that dies. Yep. I'm thinking the the other one, yes, yes, yes. the fat one. <laughs> no, that's. That's the dude that got in yes, trouble. That's the dude one. from New, he's from New Girl. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. He's the dude from New Girl, yes. uh, the one that she dates at the end. Nick, hold on, I'll get there. Yeah, I literally I want a movie about Chris Pine, a prequel that's just yeah. Chris Pine Spider Man. I think that'd be solid. I would watch that. Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. There you go. Um, from, from New Girl, sure. And you know, so it's interesting. I. I think I would also put it up there just because of everything that it's done. I think you. I think I kind of agree, and I think when we get to Iron Man, we're gonna move light years ahead in movies that sort of hold up visually. Because I can tell you right now, the first Iron Man holds up very well visually, and I haven't seen it in a while. But I can tell you now, it definitely holds up visually. Um, oh, it does. And so we're gonna we're gonna move past that here pretty soon. But I think this movie is sort of. I think belongs to the top because of what I've talked about already, because of what it's done for the franchises that have come past it and sort of the tone that it's set for superhero movies in general. So I think we can all sort of give this Spider-Man franchise a pat on the back for what it did, even though it didn't have the most glorious ending. Um, yep. Now, if you were going to rate this movie one out of five, what would you rate it? I think if I rated it, I would rate it probably – Four go web goes out of five. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so grading on a, I'm going to grade on a curve against the rest of the, the standard that's been set by Endgame. Okay. Um, and in there, I think I would go. I still think four. Four still sounds pretty good, though. It sounds fourish. So I'm going to say I would give it four out of four out of five. Uh, no one says no to me's. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Pages, what about you? Is this like a is this like an untapped scale where I can do like a point like a decimal point? Like I, don't I know. almost did three point seven five, so I don't know. I I think it did a great job for its time. Um 
I don't think I'd rank it as highly amongst the MCU if it were part of it. Um, I don't, I don't know if I want to go as high as four, but one to five is pretty limited. So if we're going for an untapped scale of things, I'd give it a 3.75 bone saw McGraws. Bone saw is ready. Um, <laughs> I think that's fair. I think it's fair. And I think that's gonna, that's gonna bring it close to this, this first prototype here. Um, now, if anybody wants to give a shout out, I don't know. I don't really know how we're going to end this show. I don't know if we're going to be doing shout outs like we do on squad up, but I guess we'll do it. For this oh, no. episode. Go for it. I don't know exactly how you'd say it, but I think it would be worth it. If you want to have engagement with this one, just end it something like, you know, those are our thoughts on insert movie here. Uh, let us know what you think about the movie. What did you like? What did you not like? Who is your MVP? What are your favorite? Yeah, I guarantee you anyone that listens to this is going to have things to argue about somewhere. Yeah. If you think we're wildly wrong, let us know and tell us why, and we'll shout you out on the next episode. Yeah, social like media at this podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> right, I agree with that. Um, I also, we can talk about... I won't just in case we do upload this one. I won't talk about all the things I think we could modify, but um, I think that'd be a good closing for this one because there's not really uh, a reason to shout all of us out specifically. It has nothing to do with video right. games. Uh, I think we could still say like, you know, without all of us doing it separately, I think you could be like, you know, this is uh, ABCD Eduardo. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this, and then you can find Peaches. Well, sure, like um, D underscore Peaches, PhilKid3, ABCD Eduardo1, all on Twitter. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then maybe just do Twitters for everybody since we're all on. Yeah, that makes sense. We'll, we'll all willingly have discussions with people on Twitter absolutely all the time. If they yeah, want. my Twitter was basically born to be professional, so I still try and treat it that way. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, <laughs> at least for the end of this recording, remember everyone, with great power comes great responsibility. See ya. Single tier. Shazam!